Deuteronomy 15. If you've got your Bible, make your way there. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the chair underneath of you or in front of you. We're going to be on page 96 in those Bibles. And if you've been here with us, you, you kind of know the story of what's going on in Deuteronomy. But if you've missed or haven't been around, I want to just catch you up really briefly. So what we've been looking at in the book of Deuteronomy is God is calling His people to, uh, to, to become a nation, to, to enter, in, they're preparing to enter, bleh. they're preparing to go into a land that God has promised them. And as they prepare to go into that land, Moses, their leader, turns around and addresses them and reminds them of all the ways that God has been faithful and challenges them to, to live as God's people, to live different than the world by obeying these specific instructions that God is giving them. And there's some very specific instructions that God is giving them. And over the past several weeks and over the next several months, we're going to be looking at some very specific instructions that God has given them. And I think it's tempting for us in the 21st century in the United States to look at some of these instructions that God has given to ancient Israel and go, oh, that doesn't, that doesn't apply to me. I don't own slaves or I don't uh, sow my own seeds and grow my own food. I don't have cattle. I, those things don't apply. But what we see in these requirements, what we see in these laws is how God wants his people to live differently, is how God wants his people to be set apart, is how God wants his people to have compassion for the world around them. We see principles. We may not apply the laws directly as laws today, but what we see is God's heart. And so what we're going to look at this morning is Deuteronomy chapter 15, and we're going to see God's heart for his people to live generously. There's a quote as I was studying this week. Someone cried out, our Earl is gone. God Almighty knows that he loved us and we loved him and we shan't see his likes again. Those words were cried out by a poor laborer, a peasant, speaking about the coffin of Anthony Ashley Cooper as it was carried out of Westminster Abbey. Ashley Cooper was the 7th Earl of Shaftesbury, and he was known as an evangelical. He was a social reformer. He was someone who cared for the needs of those that were less fortunate. People like this peasant that were crying out, we won't see the likes of him again, he, he cared for them. He gave his life in the service of the poor. And as I read those words this week, I... I question whether or not people today, whether the poor today would look at our lives, would look at our church and cry out in the same way, we won't see the likes of them again because they loved us. I think many times we as Christians, we, if, if we go on our social media or if we go on the news or if we look at just talking to someone on the streets, I think we're more often known for what we stand against than what we stand for. But what we see here in these passages and what we're going to look at is God wants us to stand for things as well. He wants us to live generously. He wants us to give of ourselves, to love others in the same way that we've been loved. And so Deuteronomy 15, it, it talks about the Sabbath year. It talks about uh, giving us laws about how people were to be released from their debts in the seventh year. About how slaves were supposed to be released and set free 
in the seventh year after they had begun serving. And it talks about setting apart firstborn males from their flock as they were giving sacrifices. So while these laws may seem unrelated to us, while these may seem strange, I would argue that they're incredibly applicable for us today because what we see is God desires for His people to to be kind and to be generous and to look out for the needs of others. So we're going to look at first the first 11 verses of Deuteronomy chapter 15. What we see in these verses is the importance of showing kindness to the poor. So follow along with me as I read Deuteronomy 15 verses 1 through 11. It says, At the end of every seven years you shall grant a remission of debts. This is the manner of remission. Every creditor shall release what he has loaned to his neighbor. He shall not exact it of his neighbor and his brother, because the Lord's remission has been proclaimed. From a foreigner you may exact it, but your hand shall release whatever is yours that is with your brother. However, there will be no poor among you, since the Lord will surely bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance to possess. If only you listen obediently to the voice of the Lord your God, to carefully observe all this commandment which I am commanding you today. For the Lord your God will bless you as he has promised you, and you will lend to many nations, but you will not borrow. And you will rule over many nations, but they will not rule over you. If there is a poor man with you, one of your brothers, in any of your towns in your land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart, nor close your hand from your poor brother. But you shall freely open your hand to him, and shall generously lend him sufficient for his need in whatever he lacks. Beware that there is no base thought in your heart saying, The seventh year, the year of remission, is near, and your eye is hostile towards your poor brother, and you give him nothing. Then he may cry out to the Lord against you, and it will be a sin in you. You shall generously give to him, and your heart shall not be grieved when you give to him, because for this thing the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all your undertakings. For the poor will never cease to be in the land. Therefore I command you, saying, You shall freely open your hand to your brother." to your needy, and to the poor in your land. We see this idea of the Sabbath. It's been around for quite a while. It's been around since the beginning of creation because this idea of the Sabbath comes from God's work in the week of creation. How God created and and spoke and on different days He said, let there be light, let there be sun, moon, and stars, let there be creeping things on the ground. He, he spoke, and these different things were created in the world, but it says on the seventh day that God rested. And we, we still live and practice that way, that it's important for people to, to take time and to set time aside and to rest. We see that in the book of Exodus. We saw that earlier in the book of Deuteronomy where it talks about how we should remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. And so the people of Israel... They took that one day a week and they remembered that and they set that aside. But we also see them apply that same idea in other ways. There were laws about how every seventh year they weren't to plant crops in the ground. They were to give the ground a break, to give the ground rest. Here, what it talks about is in the seventh year, there was to be forgiveness of debts. There was to be forgiveness from the normal collection that it existed. It's important for us as we look at this, as I was studying it, it made more sense after I read this this week. 
We remember that Israel had an agricultural economy. We remember that they grew their own food, that they slaughtered their own meat, that they lived on what they prepared most of the time. And so as we look at this idea of debts, the debts that were collected, the debts that were accumulated were mostly charitable loans that were given to needy people. See, they didn't, they didn't go out and practice shopping and, and commerce like we do. When they borrowed, it was because they needed to borrow. It was because they needed to provide for their families or they needed to, to, to have something that they were unable to possess on their own. We see in verse 3 where it talks about from a foreigner you may exact your debt, but from your brother you shall release whatever is owed. In verse 3, when it talks about the foreigner, those would be commercial-type debts. Foreigners that would come into their land, why were they traveling? If we think back and, and consider what was likely going on, they were traveling because they were traders. They were people, not traitors, traders. They were coming and trading produce. They were trading uh, items of value. So these commercial people who would come in from the outside it was okay for them to expect to be repaid for those debts, but for the debt that their brother owed them, they were to forgive. Why is that? It's Because the, the people who were coming in as traders, who were uh, practicing commerce, those were business loans. And what we see here in these verses is not uh, an opportunity for God to call His people to let businessmen off the hook. He wasn't saying... Everybody gets a free pass. Run up your credit cards because at the seventh year, freedom is coming. What he's saying is, if someone has, has come to you in need and has borrowed and, and is unable to, to get out of the depths of their poverty, offer forgiveness. Offer generosity to them. In verses 4 and 5, we see Moses talk about two preconditions for this ideal that it was talking about. It says in verse 4 that there will be no poor among you, since the Lord will surely bless you in the land. But it talks about two preconditions. The first one is that God is, I guess, going to have to give them the land, right? It says God will bless you in the land that he's going to give you. Well, God has to fulfill his promise to give them that land as we've been talking about for 15 chapters now in the book of Deuteronomy, God always keeps His promises. That wasn't the concern, all right? But that's the first precondition that we see. God has to fulfill His promise and to give them the land. But the second thing that we see here is that it was important. Israel must adhere meticulously to the will of Yahweh. It says that if you would obey all that I'm commanding you, if you would carefully obey you would meticulously obey all that I've commanded you, then there will be no poor among you. God provides for His people when His people live in His way. But as we keep reading, we come to verse 7. And if we read verse 4 and then we read verse 7, we see what seems like a contradiction. We see what seems like a conflict because in verse 4 it says, there will be no poor among you. And then in verse 7 it says, if there is a poor man with you, this is how you should treat him. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense, right? There will be no poor, but when there's poor, here's how you're supposed to treat them. Is it a contradiction? 
Did the Bible make a mistake? No. Thank you. No. It didn't. Because what we see here is in verse 4, we see the ideal. We see what God is telling them. He says, if you would live in this way, if you would walk in the way that I'm telling you to walk, things will go well with you. There will be no poor among you. But the reality is, we see it in the history of Israel. You and I, it's, it's only 940 in the morning, but you and I probably could say from our experience today, we don't always live the way that we're supposed to, right? We don't always meet up to the, the expectations that God has for us. And so, as it talks about how they should live and how they should treat others and how they should walk in the way God tells them to, God says, if you do it my way, there will be no poor. But I know that you're not going to. I know that you're not going to do that perfectly. So how should we respond to the poor? How should we look at them? How should we treat them? Verse 7 specifies the required disposition that the people were to have to the poor. Talks about how they were to be soft-hearted and open-handed. We've talked a little bit about that idea, that picture of having open hands in the past. Deuteronomy has talked about it a couple of different times. That idea of living with open hands is something that we as Christians should always keep at the front of our mind. Scripture talks about how we should live with our hands open. And why we, why we live with our hands open is because God is good. God is in control. As children of the Most High King, what that says is, God, I trust you. I trust you, and if there's, there's things that you want to put into my life, God, I'm ready to receive those. And if there's things that you need to take out of my life, God, I'm holding them, but, but I'm holding them loosely. If there's things that you need to come in and take out, God, they're, they're yours. They're not mine. We often stand with this posture towards the things that we've earned or the things that we deserve. We, we stand with this posture of kind of hoarding. You guys remember as kids, it's a game that's been around for a long time. I loved it as a kid until I always seemed to break it. Hungry, hungry hippos. You'd mash, 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 mash on the, on the little lever, and, and your hippo was trying to gather and hoard for itself as much as it could. The goal was to have more than everybody else. Unfortunately, a lot of us, we, we never outgrew that. Because in life, we... We kind of have that attitude sometimes, don't we? I'm going to collect and gather for myself all that I can. I worked hard. I deserve this. And I'm going to keep it for myself. Well, that's not living with open hands. That's not living with soft hearts. That's living with a, a closed posture that says, no, I, I earned this. But really, in reality, if we're, if we're honest with ourselves, every good thing that we have, everything that we have comes from God. Right? Even if you go out and you work hard, who gave you the ability to work? Who gave you the talent to go and do what it is that you're able to do? Who gave you the mind to be able to be good at your job? Who gave you a strong back to go out and to work hard? Everything that we have comes from the Lord. And everything that we have is His. And if we live with our hands like this, we live with this posture, as it talks about, with open hands. God is willing and able to bless us 
and to give to us all that he needs, all that he desires, more than he could ever, more than we could ever imagine. But we also know that, that there's going to be times where if we, if we live with our hands open, we can't question God when he comes and when he takes something away. We're called to be generous. We're called to meet the needs of people. Israelites were called to be soft-hearted and open-handed towards the poor. To forgive debts that they had every right to collect. They, they gave of themselves. They had to, to let things go that, that may have seemed like they were their rights. They had every right to go and to collect but they didn't. Why? Why did God call these people not to collect what they deserved? It's because the reality is that as Christians, in God's economy, as God's people, we don't want things to be fair. We don't want things to be equal as they should be because if everything was fair, if everything was was as it should be, You and I deserve hell. We deserve punishment. We have stood in opposition to God's laws and God's commandments, and we deserve God's wrath. But God, who is rich in mercy, but God, who is gracious, but God, in His loving kindness, made a way for us to be forgiven. We don't want things to be fair. We love God's mercy when when He shows it to us. But as God calls His people to live differently than the rest of the world does, the root of all of this, the root of this generosity, the root of this living with our hands open so that, that we can give to others as they have need, you know where that comes from? We live generously because we have received from God generously. We live with a hand out towards someone else because God reached out and pulled us from the depths of our sin, pulled us from the depths of our depravity when we had no way of getting out on our own. Moses calls his people to demonstrate their love for Yahweh by loving their neighbors. There's a couple of verses, other places in Scripture that we see this. In Proverbs 14, it says, He who oppresses the poor taunts his maker, but he who is gracious to the needy honors him. Proverbs 17, it says, He who mocks the poor taunts his maker. He who rejoices at calamity will not go unpunished. We see it throughout the book of Deuteronomy. We see it throughout the book of Proverbs. We see it throughout the Old Testament. But we also see it in the New Testament. We see in 1 John chapter 3, it talks about how we're to live generously. How we're to look out for the needs of others. And in verses 17 and 18, it says, If anyone has material possession and sees his brother in need, yet has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. If we have received generously from God, if we say that the love of God lives in us because he has given that to us, the only reasonable response as it talks about in 1 John, that talks about in the book of James, 
that talks about all over Scripture. We are to love others the way that God has loved us. We are to show kindness towards others in the way that God has shown kindness towards us. D.I. Block said it this way. He said, The children of God have special motivation for compassion towards the poor and the needy, knowing not only the pain and de- pain of deprivation and slavery, but also the grace of redemption. We look at the world through the eyes of our Heavenly Father and are inspired to treat others as He's treated us. We're to treat others as He has treated us. We're not. You notice He didn't say we're called to treat others as they deserve. Thank you, God. He didn't treat us as we deserve. We treat others with generosity. We treat others with kindness. We give of ourselves for others. Not because they deserve it but because God has a heart for them. Because God has a desire to look out for the less fortunate. God's heart goes out to the orphans, to the widows, to the sojourners, as we've talked about in the past, as Ryan talked about last week. Those who are less fortunate, God has a special soft spot in His heart for those. We should too. And just so that you can't leave here this morning and say we never help you put this into practice, we talk about things and we never give you opportunities. I don't know if you've put it together yet, but Michael stood right here about 20 minutes ago, and you know what he did? He talked about how we can put this into practice. I wish I could say that that was some brilliance of our own that we planned this and announced that this week. God took care of it. It was last night as I was up here preaching that I realized, oh, hey, we have an opportunity for you to do that. We have an opportunity for you to give of yourself for someone else. And so this ministry that we've been preparing for several months about how God wants us to have a heart for the homeless, God wants us to look out for those who are less fortunate as a church, we're going to do that. We're going to gather together and we're going to prepare bags with some of the staples, some of the essentials that someone needs, and so that when you drive past someone that's out, that's needy, that's hungry. We have a way to respond. We have a way to respond in kindness towards them as God has called us to respond in kindness. We have ways to respond with the gospel, with the truth of who God is and what they need. They need food but they also need living water. They also need the bread of life. They also need to know that their spiritual condition is cured, not just their physical condition. All that to say, God's people should have a heart for the poor and look out for those who are less fortunate. The second thing that we see in this passage is the importance of showing kindness to debt slaves. In verses 12 through 18. So let's look at verses 12 through 18 together. Starting in verse 12, it says, If your kinsman, a Hebrew man or woman, is sold to you, then he shall serve with you for six years. But in the seventh year, you shall set him free. When you set him free, you shall not send him away empty-handed. You shall furnish him liberally from your flock and from the threshing floor and from your wine vat. You shall give to him as the Lord your God has blessed you. 
You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this today. It shall come about if he says to you, I will not go out from you because he loves you and your household since he fares well with you. Then you shall take an awl and pierce it through his ear into the door, and he shall be your servant forever. Also, you shall do likewise to your maidservant. And it shall not seem hard to you when you are to set him free, for he has given you six years with double the service of a hired man. So the Lord your God will bless you in whatever you do. So we remember these verses are from ancient history. We also remember that the practice of slavery was widespread throughout the ancient world. We know that there's many different ways that people were taken into slavery. And so there were captives from war and there were uh, other different methods where people would enter into a master and slave relationship. But what this is talking about specifically is it's talking about debt slaves. It's talking about how as people who would go and would borrow, as people who would get into a situation where they could never repay their debts on their own, they had an opportunity to pay off their debt by, by offering to work for a period of time. They would offer to become a slave for an individual because there was no other way for them to pay off their debts. And so they would become a slave. They would live in a person's house. They would work for a master. They would, they would live under their rule for a certain period. As it talks about here, they would live and serve for six years to pay off their debt. And in the seventh year, the principle from the Sabbath, in the seventh year they would be set free. But Moses here instructs the Israelites on how they were to treat these indentured countrymen. How were they to treat their brothers? How were they to use the services of their Israelite brothers for six years? We see here a couple of different things, but if we look in verses 13 and 14. We see a charge to those who the impoverished person has served. After they have served, after they have treated them well, after they have taken care of them, in 13 and 14 we see the expectation that the master would not just use them up and cast them aside, but that they would be generous, that just as God sent his people from slavery in Egypt, he sent them out not empty-handed, but with the riches of the Egyptians. It's a fun story. You should go back and read that sometime. Just as God sent them out of Egypt with provisions, these masters were to live generously and to look out for the needs of those that had worked for them with much wine, with much food, with, 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 with much in the way of physical possessions. <clears throat> but it also talks about an idea that is really prominent in Scripture. We see here some of the first conversation about the idea of being a bondservant. That word bondservant may be familiar to you if you've read much of the New Testament because it's, it's a word where Paul identified himself time and time and time again in the beginning of many of his letters as Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Peter does the same thing in 2 Peter. Peter, a, a bondservant of Jesus. So what is a bondservant? What it talks about here, a servant who had lived in a person's household for six years, had paid off their debts, but when they come to the end of that time, for whatever reason, 
We can speculate on a lot of different things, but for whatever reason, they didn't want to go. They could be set free. They could, we'll just read it, we'll just listen. (laughs) At the end of their, their debt, their debt being paid off at the end of six years, they had the right to be set free, but sometimes they wouldn't choose to take that right. Because for whatever reason, living in that person's house was far better than going out and anything that they were able to do for themselves as a free person. So instead of going out and taking their freedom, they would want to stay. Let me be your servant forever. Let me live in your house and work in your house forever because it is far better here than it could ever be out there. And so they would have the opportunity to agree with their master and to say, I want to be yours forever. And the master would pierce their ear with an awl, stake them to the door, and they would say, I I never want to leave. You've been a good master to me. Why would I ever go somewhere else? That idea sound familiar at all? Paul was an enemy of Christ. And through an incredibly radical conversion story where God kind of knocked Paul off of his path, Saul off of his path. Saul's life was changed and he became Paul who wrote 13 of our 27 New Testament books. I don't ever want to go anywhere else because, God, I, I want to be yours. I want to live in your house. I want to be your servant, and I want to be your servant forever. We have been set free from sin. We've been set free from the punishment of our sin. And we, just as Paul did, just as these servants did, we willingly submit ourselves to our master who loves us and provides for us. He's a good master. He's a good father. This word in, in Greek in the New Testament that, that Paul identifies, it, it's, it's the word doulos. It's the word that means bond slave, willing slave, willing servant. I don't ever want to go anywhere else. It's an important idea for us as Christians to understand. It's important enough to me that I still have the license plates. They didn't make me turn them in uh, from the state of Virginia. My license plate was the word doulos. Because every, every time I would go and get in my car, I wanted that reminder of, I'm not here for me. I'm not here for my rights. I'm not here for what I want. My life is in service to a good master. My life is not my own. My life is in service of the king. Let's look at the last few verses of our passage and we'll finish up. Verses 19 through 23 talk about feasting in the presence of Yahweh, and they kind of provide a good close to this passage, this section, as we've talked about last week and this week, about living with open hands and an open heart. In verse 19, it says, You shall consecrate to the Lord your God all the firstborn males that are born of your herd and of your flock. You shall not work with the firstborn of your herd, nor shear the firstborn of your flock. You and your household shall eat it every year before the Lord your God in the place which the Lord chooses. But if it has any defect, such as lameness or blindness, or any serious defect, 
you shall not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. You shall eat it within your gates. The unclean and the clean alike may eat it, as a gazelle or a deer. Only you shall not eat its blood. You are to pour it out on the ground like water. As we finish this section about how people are called to be generous, about how people are called to live with open hands, with open hearts, with willingness to give, not begrudgingly, but generously, we see here a touchback to what we talked about last week, about how we're called to give to the Lord, about how we're called to sacrifice to the Lord and give to Him talked about last week how we give to the Lord. We talked this week about how God wants us to give to others, to be generous towards others. And then as we finish this, it talks about don't hold back. It talks about these animals. It talks about giving the firstborn. It talks about giving the best one of the flock. It talks about giving the best calf of the herd. And it talks about how they were to be set aside, how they were to be special. Don't put them into use for a year and then set them aside. They're called to be special. Again, it wasn't an issue of the work for the animal. It was an issue of the heart of the person. It was an issue of the heart because rather than trying to get as much as they could from the animal before they had to give it to God, they were called to give it to the Lord willingly, open-handedly, generously. This passage, it talks time and time and time again about something that's really important for us today. We don't bring animals to be sacrificed. We don't forgive debts of people in the seventh year, every seventh year. We don't have a year of Sabbath. But what we do have is the opportunity to be generous. The opportunity to give to those who have need is the opportunity to forgive others. First John 4 talks about it and says, We forgive others because we've been forgiven. We love because He first loved us. So I have two questions. The first one is, have you received that forgiveness? It's really difficult for us to live generously. The the, the basis for why we should be generous, of why we should give to other people is very clear. We give generously to other people because God has given generously to us. We forgive others because God has forgiven us. But it would be absurd for us to come here and assume that everyone in a group this size has received forgiveness from God. So before we go any further, it's important for us to pause for just a minute and and call out and plead with you. God's offer for forgiveness is free to anyone who would receive it. God has forgiveness for you this morning if you need it. There is no expectation of perfection of you getting your life put together, of of you having it all figured out before God would forgive you. The Bible tells us that even though we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That even though there was nothing good in me, there is nothing good in you, God chose to love us says that God demonstrated His love for us, that even though we were still sinners, He would die for us. So I'm here to tell you this morning, generosity is a back burner issue if, if you've not been given to generously, if you've not received generously from God. Let's deal with that first. Our prayer team will be up here after the service. They would love nothing more 
than to talk to you about how you can receive forgiveness and be given generously to this morning. But if you have received that gift of salvation, if you do belong to King Jesus, there's only one reasonable response as we've talked about in these verses and as we've talked about throughout other passages in the New Testament. Those who have been loved much should love others much. Those who have been forgiven much should forgive others. Those of us who have been given to generously should give generously. Not because someone else deserves it. Not because it's the right thing to do. But just because God has given it to us. The only reasonable response we have if we truly understand how much we've been given is to give. Is to live with our hands open. Not hoarding like a hungry hippo. But with open hands. May we be described as a people who live with open hands this morning. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the calling that you have put on our lives to, God, to love others, to forgive others, to give generously to others. God, we pray that, God, that we would understand how much you've given to us, how much you've been generous with us. And God, we, we need that to overflow from our lives. God, help us to understand the depths of that. Help us to meditate on that today, to, to pause and to slow down from the busyness of life and to realize all that you have blessed us with. And as we realize how much we are blessed, God, help us to bless others. Help us to make a difference in the lives of others. Help us to live in a way that just like the peasant cried out about that earl that lived 150 years ago, Help us to live in a way that people would miss us if we were gone. God, we want to make an impact on the world. We want to make a difference in the life of someone else because, because you love them and because you love us. God, we offer everything that we have with open hands to you, and we pray that you would use it. In Jesus' name, amen.